Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. Welcome to We Built This City. With this podcast, I wanted to shine a light on the people who have put the heart into modern Manchester. You can build a city with bricks and mortar, but it's the people that make Manchester great. People like Will Lewis. Don't stand still. Always question yourself, question your business and your offering, and always try to innovate. Will Lewis is co-founder of OBI Property. They're based in Manchester City Centre and they've now got an office in Leeds. When they came onto the scene 10 years ago, they ripped up the rule book and set about shaking up the property industry. And they did ruffle quite a lot of feathers whilst they were doing it. I think the term work hard, play hard could have been invented for the OBI team. Will gave my son Alex an internship when he was at university and he didn't actually come home from work on the first day. Will, thanks very much for joining me on We Built This City. Thanks, Lisa. Good to see you. Great. So, so last time I saw you, things a little bit different. It's good to actually be together in the studio for a change. I've been doing these on online for the last few months in lockdown, so it's great to see your face. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Thank you for inviting us on today. My first question is that you've gone from selling Mars bars at university to doing one of the biggest office deals in Manchester's commercial property history. How do you think the two are connected? Well, I really didn't like university, so I worked hard to find a job. I managed to get probably the best job you could get as a student, as as I think it was a Mars student ambassador, which I was basically responsible for selling Mars products um, and negotiating deals with the university outlets and bars. So you couldn't actually get into my my room at university. It was just rammed full of of Mars um, products, which I may have sold a few uh, through the back door as well <laughs> to make a, a few more quid but um no that sort of taught me how to negotiate it, it taught me the power of brand and it, i suppose it gave me a bug for for sort of doing deals and business things led from there i suppose what is your favorite mars product now still a mars bar <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> and so what do you think you learned from that job what was it relationships um so if you got on well with the people that were the buying from you, it helped. But also the power, you know, Mars had a massive brand. So my job was quite easy. You know, the amount of products that fall under the Mars umbrella um, is ridiculous. There's a lot more than you think. And everyone wanted Mars to be at the centre of, of their, sort of their merchandising areas. So I learned about the power of brand. If you've got a good brand, it makes life a lot easier when you're selling. Um, and also a bit about merchandising and, and you know position, positioning things uh, from a sales perspective. So brand's interesting. We'll come to that later. And you're not Mancunian, but we have adopted you. So how and why did you end up here? I spent time in Stoke, in a place called Beverley, near Hull and Nottingham. And thought, I couldn't be asked for London. And I thought the next best alternative was Manchester. And it was also, you know, still close to all my mates that I'd made and, and, and family as well. So I thought it was, um, that was the criteria really that I judged mm. it on. How long ago did you come? 2003. So it must have been very different then. What was it like? Do you know what? It was, it was, it was different. All of the energy and the activity and I suppose the F&B big office buildings they're all very concentrated around the traditional core and that was the place to be so 
uh, when I first started, Fountain Street was full mm. of surveyors and that was where you sort of started your career and where you worked. And now the city is just expanded. So what was fringe then is now sort of prime space. Mm. So the city's expanded massively. Yeah, look where we're sitting now. So right yeah. in the middle of St John's with a factory being built behind us and your deal. It was derelict, wasn't it, this place before? You would never walk down to these parts, really. Mm. Um, walking past Dean's Gate never really happened when I first came to Manchester. And, and now there's, there's well, I suppose it's been wrapped by the inner ring road, but all these developments that are going on now in areas where you can work, where you can go out, you can eat, you know, the city's much better and much bigger. Mm. I sat in 20 stories for a meeting and even in the time, it's the first time since lockdown and I couldn't believe actually how much development there'd been in that six months. There's what? just so much more stuff to look at. Yeah, still now when you when you look out from somewhere like 20 stories, the, the number of cranes and the amount of development that's still going on in the city, it's great. It's mm. um, it's There's still loads happening. So the OBI team has been seen as disruptors in the property agency world. How would you feel that you brought that kind of maverick streak into the property market? Uh, I don't think it was me or Dom, actually. I think it was when we started recruiting people. So when we first started, I think we were we were we might have been a bit ballsier or a bit more aggressive um, or pushed the boundaries a bit more. But in terms of how we, we, were, we sort of disrupted it from a marketing point of view and how we approached things, I think that was when we started employing people mm. from different backgrounds and they came in and really questioned us as to why we did things the way we did. And our answer was, we've always done it like that. And it was great because then we started to learn from, from other people. I suppose we, we have done things differently um, in terms of where we've gone over the last 10 years. Mm. And 10 years ago, you were seen as really out there, weren't you? Then I think a lot of people copied the type of thing that you were doing. Yeah. Did you find that flattering or was that just really bloody annoying? When I was younger, it used to, it used to wind me up, mm. but now I think it's funny. <laughs> so I said to someone yesterday, do you think we should put this out on um, social media or on LinkedIn? It's like a report I think we'd, we'd uh, written on a, on a growth sector. Or do you think people you know, will copy it and, and get stuck into the people that we've that we've based this research around? Then I thought, stuff it, you know, if they want to copy, they can, and people still do. You know, if we release a journal, someone else releases mm. a journal. We do a new website, someone will copy the look and theme of the website. We market the space with video, suddenly someone else is doing it. But I did work out that if you've got the best team, um, just just go for it and, mm. and share. You know, and if people want to copy, then good luck to them. And um, you've always been inquisitive and happy to try new ideas. So your strapline is the difference. So what is the difference? The difference is the totally integrated approach to how we service our clients. I've always worked really, really closely with my business partner who was set up with Dominic and an agent or a broker can't provide the best advice for a client without other skill sets. An example of that could be if you're relocating a big business, you might be able to agree the lease terms or what rent it is or what the concession is, but you can't tell them what the dilapidations liability is or what the fit out cost is going to be or how much space they actually need if you've not got a workplace consultancy team. So we've got we've got a flat organisation. Uh, no one has a title in OBI. Um, and we've tried to promote total integration of, of, of the services. So there's no individual fee targets. There's no departmental fee targets. The culture's built around everyone working together and giving the client the best rounded advice. We all seem to want to be attached to our title. Have you just told everybody that they can't have one, that's the end of it? Or has there been any kind of kickback to that at all? Uh, there's pluses and minuses, I think. So 
we do debate it and have debated it, but we think we've got it right in the round. Two people left because they were people that wanted to go through being graduate, surveyor, senior surveyor, associate, then director, whatever. I can't remember all the all the targets these people work through. But they are just titles. And then we were seeing that people were being picked by clients on the basis of what level they were at, mm-hmm. when it should be down to what ability they've got. So a couple of people that have got egos or that think that it's really important in terms of what, what their title is, left the business. And I suppose the biggest challenge is to make sure that people still know that they've got a succession plan without yeah. being called something. Yeah. So that's just something we need to do when we're onboarding people. And we make, we make it really, really clear in terms of the values and what you're rewarded on. You've got an unusual working culture, haven't you? I know you were very kind to take my son under your wing for 18 months and teach him all kinds of things he didn't know before he joined OBI. From an HR point of view, it intrigues me because he must be kind of, you know, bending some of the rules there, but it seems to work from a culture point of view. Yeah, I think our, our culture is, is very open. So when we grew from naught to te- well, two to ten people, it was quite easy. It was a family culture um, and we were learning business and we were learning about culture and then when we went from sort of 10 to 30 and now we're at 35 we sort of lost it mm-hmm. um so about two years ago we we had a big session as a business and we invited everyone to it and we we agreed what we called the transaction where we listened to what the team wanted from obi and the team listened to what dom and myself and liz wanted from the team and it, we did almost a deal together mm-hmm. Um, and it worked really well. I mean, we got our, our values and our core purpose um, from that session. Um, and since then, we've got absolute clarity in terms of what we expect. And, and we, we have things like be courageous, be resilient, but also, you know, be helpful mm. um, and take responsibility. We, we we do want people in our business that can, can work in pressure situation. It's pretty high paced, um, but equally we're incredibly loyal mm. so you might have to work a bit harder um you may have to work outside your comfort zone but equally everyone is expected to help each other the team had to take salary cuts during lockdown mm. but we didn't furlough we kept everyone together and yesterday even though you know times are still uncertain out there we we put everyone back up to 100 percent, which was a we were really pleased to do and again it gave the gave the team um a big bounce an unexpected bounce really because they thought that this was going to be in place for a, a few months and how, how have you felt that the team's behaved in those kind of few months where everyone was zooming and you, do your values and your culture keep you together in that you know, time yeah i'm so proud of of every single one of them actually because we were very close as a team no there were people that you know lost members of the family to covid there were there were people that were incredibly scared people that that were close to the the you know the nans and granddads and we're trying to look after them and outside of business people had a lot of challenges but we all came together we kept in regular contact and the output that the team did even if it wasn't fee generation but the content they produced and helped to clients 
yeah, I couldn't have been more proud. They did, mm. they did an amazing job. Mm. I think that was really noticeable from your team, the fact that there was so much new content being put out there and also that you're kind of doing it with a, a smile on your face. There's still a lot of humour. Yeah. There's still a lot of... <laughs> saw Cowley's video. <laughs> yes, yeah. And a lot of like individual, you know, at homes having to work at home with kids and stuff like that. And that's part of your brand, presumably, you know, going back to the point you made about how important brand and values are. Yeah, yesterday's presentation when we presented to the team a bit of an update on the market and where it was going um, and that the salaries were going back up. The last bullet point was have fun. You know, business is serious, but we do sign up to the fact you've got to have a laugh. You definitely do. And I can tell you a lot do for sure. Where do you think you've got your values from? Have you your parents or who's influenced you? Um, yeah, I think you, your core values as a person. So my mum always made sure that um, I was generous. She was really generous to me, and I think that's something that I've always been. I can't stand people that are tight. Mm. And also, probably something I need to work on, that, you know, don't judge people too quickly. That's one of my weaknesses. Sometimes I'd, I think I can and get it wrong. And then my dad is an academic and knows absolutely nothing about business. They're both academics. But my, my dad taught me to have an eye for detail. So he would, you know, I remember once going to a... A shop with him and when he got to, I think it was a butcher's when I was a kid and he went and he got to the, the counter and he said do you realise that your signs have got eight grammatical errors throughout your <laughs> shop <laughs> and the next time we went back the guy had put a sign up saying we do not apologise for any errors in our spelling <laughs> but he taught me to read things and read and read and don't get it wrong there was no excuse for making basic errors in, in your work you know emails or reports and the amount of mistakes that people make now, yeah. it drives me insane. So he, he taught me to have a real eye for detail and encouraged me to play as much sport, you know, as, as possible. So he got me sort of into that, I suppose, that team environment as well. And you've got two young children and your son's a very good footballer, isn't he? Do you think if you're teaching those values to your kids, would you say, is that important for you to pass those types of things, lessons on? Uh, sometimes I get accused... I'd be more of a mate to to my son, which I suppose I have to look for. But um, yeah, he's hardworking. So he's a he's playing football in the under twelves at United, um, and he went from being a top goal scorer in um, Sunday League football, then to a midfielder, and now he's centre half. And he'll always put the team before himself, which I think is a really good trait for yeah. someone that young. Um, and he'll, and he'll work incredibly, incredibly hard. So I'm really proud of him. Poppy, my little girl, she's just starting ballet now. She's four. <laughs> um, God knows what she's going to be like, but she's hard work. <laughs> oh, they are at that age. That's the job. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you don't rest on your laurels, do you? So you're always looking for the next thing, which is probably that Mars bar entrepreneurial streak in you. And you opened an office in Leeds where I don't think you knew anybody there at all, did you, to start off with? No, that came out. From a, I was having lunch last Christmas with a client who basically said, you can carry on doing what you're doing, but you always need new challenges and you, you'll feed off new challenges. So why don't you open an office in another city? Financially, whether it stacked up, whether we needed to do it, probably not. But 
it definitely has given me an extra bounce out of bed in the morning. It's another challenge. It reminds me of where we were 10 years ago. So you're celebrating your 10th anniversary this year and you launched OBI in the deepest property recession on record, I think. 10 years later, we've got another crisis on our hands and obviously you're not afraid of big challenges. What have you learned over the past 10 years that stands you in good stead for now? What have I learned? So relationships with clients are really, really important. Don't stand still. Always, always question yourself, question your business and your offering and always try to innovate. So we've always tried to innovate. And as I say, 70% we've got right, 30% we probably haven't. But we've always tried to push the boundaries. We've spent the last six months making sure that all of our clients have had as much advice, help, assistance Mm. that we can give. Um, because our business has undoubtedly been built on those really strong long-term relationships. Mm. And look, it's hard out there, but in a weird way, it's quite good to be pressed again and to be to be mm. pushed and and really work out um, what the future is of the workplace. And, and I think we're, we're well ahead of the game. Not standing still during lockdown, not furloughing, keeping the team together means we're way ahead of the competition again. If you're loving We Built This City, please could you take the time to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform. Thank you. So last year you won Northwest Insiders Property Personality of the Year and that was a proper drop-the-mic moment that anybody that was in that room is not going to forget any time soon. And I know that you're not really bothered about what your peers think about you, but you really do care, obviously, about your clients. Tell me more about that. Well, I didn't expect to win it, hence the speech was so bad. Um, but but I basically said the truth. I said that I don't care about um, what my competitors think of me. I really don't. I think there's. I think it, the industry is wrong in terms of the different brokers will put their relationships with mates ahead of getting results for the clients, which I don't agree with. So. Um, We'll always fight like a dog to get the best result for our clients. And that's, that's I think, what, what has differentiated our business to others. Last series podcast, Liz Taylor, who I know you know, she said that it's more important for her to be respected than it is to be liked. Can you relate to that? Are you saying I'm not well-liked? <laughs> well, I think you are liked, but I don't think you care about being no. liked. Yeah, I Have can you relate got really to that. thick skin or do you care really? Uh, no, I don't really. I, I care if someone that I respect... If I've pissed yeah. them off or annoyed them yeah. or upset them, then then I care then, but not if it's someone that doesn't register. No. So, no, I don't think it's not that important to me. And so just coming back to Manchester, what do you think has made it a global city? That's a good question. I think I think the leadership, and, and when we've been exposed to different cities, when we've been, been advising occupiers in, um, in in different cities around the UK the strength of Manchester City Council um, is definitely the biggest. You know, they. I was amazed that it, during the last re- recession, things didn't stop. You know, Metrolink lines kept going yeah. in, buildings kept going up and public um, projects, you know, Sir Howard was pushing it on and pushing it on. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. And obviously Sir Richard's doing the same. But then you've got the universities. Universities... I think they're the two most applied for in the country. Mm. I think the, the the two global football teams massively help. Um, and its ability to attract major international talent um, has made the city 
you know, it has exploded since I've been here. And it, it was already a great city before, but I've seen of you, huge though. change. I hope, yeah. I was, I was thinking <laughs> the other day, I was having a debate with someone about how can it carry on at, at the same mm. pace, acceleration, because it's come so far. Um, but it, it does seem to be, to be every year, year on year, growing and doing great. Mm. So do you think then that what we've got now is just a pause? Do you think that we walk here today and there's very few people on the streets yet, but there is a massive amount of development still going on? Do you think that will come back? Yeah, I'm convinced. I mean, the city's too mature now. There's the diverse nature of businesses. It's not like it's not dominated by just government occupiers or just banking occupiers. Mm-hmm. The city is so well-rounded in terms of its educational uh, background, the um, boom in tech businesses, the size of the media world here. We've got all of the finance professional services businesses as well. And I think that we forget just how entrepreneurial the city is. So the city's got so many big businesses which are homegrown. And that's what differentiates us to other cities across the country is that all these businesses like you know, the booking.com, that was homegrown from Travel Jigsaw. Yeah. You've got the Boohoo's, um, you've got the AO's, you've got the Hook Group. These are huge, huge businesses um, that have gone through IPOs, but are still the decisions are still made by Manchester people. Mm, definitely. Yeah, I can see that. And I think possibly with London maybe taking a bit longer to get back on its feet, there's a real opportunity for us as a city, isn't it? Particularly with more remote working. I heard somebody the other day that in the civil service and they've been told that they don't need to work in the office any time again and they've moved to Manchester because they've always wanted to live in Manchester as a city. Yeah, it's great and and I think that that goes you know, Manchester's very popular behind London. If if someone isn't going to base the business in in London, um and there's a number of reasons why you wouldn't want to. Manchester seems to mm. to win and if they're doing that now on the social and residential front as well, then that's fantastic. Mm. And I think that's what the city needs to do. The city needs to get more people to live in it. I think that's what does make proper cities. You know, big, world-class European cities have loads of people living in them, yeah. and we still need to work on that. And obviously there's a there's a big boom of residential buildings being built now, but we do need people to live in them. And it is heartbreaking at the moment to walk through our streets and st- see them so empty, what do you think the solution is there? Well, it's difficult because it's a health pandemic. People are very scared to give some strong messaging and everything has to be safe and everyone has to be re- very responsible. And I, t- and I totally get that. But equally, people shouldn't forget where they've built their businesses. So I think people that have built successful businesses in the city because of the, the beauty of it and the strength of the city need to remember that if we don't come back and keep the city ticking over it will be different mm. there'll be lots of casualties you know you'll, be, you'll walk the streets and there will be um small shops big shops bars restaurants that won't reopen um and then we're gonna we we could face having a, a rather sad looking city on our hands if, if we don't keep it going mm. and so do you think there's a responsibility for people to try and return as much as they can within with the guidelines yeah because you you, you can return safely Mm. it can be done safely look you can't be cavalier you have to look after all of your employees and every employer has to have that view but you can return safely even if it's a proportion of your team 
and I think obviously, you know, you walk through spinning fields and some of the, the major employers are there with thousands of people, aren't they? It needs a return. It needs a mindset shift, I think, from perhaps some of the bigger international brands or professional firms to, to try and look at a return in some capacity fairly soon. Unfortunately, a lot of business leaders, or, or fortunately for them, have um, are probably quite happy working from home, particularly if you're a leader within a big, big corporate, so it's not your own business and you can see more of your family or you can improve your work-life balance, have more time to exercise and, and have a great office at home. But the office is uh, a great leveller. Um, we've got a young workforce um, we had people that couldn't work properly from home because they didn't they didn't have the room or they didn't have you know the tables or the space. You know, we just take for granted that everyone can just plug in a, a computer and work successfully from home. Well, it's not the case for for a lot of people. So we were getting lobbied by our team to to work, reopen the office as fast as we could, which we did. Equally, we've got young people that need to be trained and mentored. How do you do that from working away from from the office? You know, just, just sat in there inherently listening to what's going on um, means a lot to people that are learning. And then try to, if you try to recruit someone and you can't see them or meet them, got no chance. So businesses that are either giving up the office or not returning when they do go back back into growth mode, they will really struggle because they'll never integrate people and, and they'll never have a, a strong culture, in my opinion. Mm. That's the thing. I think if you had your culture established when you went into lockdown and you moved to remote working, you can come back with that same culture and those same values. But then if that dissipates and you just don't kind of come together where the magic happens, when people come together, that's when you're going to struggle. Yeah. And people lose sense of what their the daily purpose is. Well, you must have, you must have been through the same with your business. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, I, I did stand in front of the values that are on our wall the day that we went into lockdown. And I thought it's going to be a long time before we come back in here. And when we come back in, the business is going to be very, very different, but our values will stay the same. And it's those when you've got nothing, if you've got your values, you can build back on, on those. And so so you do feel confident, though, that in another 10 years, we'll be looking to, you know, we'll look at this as it was a learning curve, things change, but generally Manchester is going in the right direction. Yeah, I think we'll have a better city as well. You've got good people like Chris Oglesby working closely with the council who see this as now as a massive opportunity to make the city greener and to make it more environmentally friendly, to get rid of the buses, get rid of the cars. He always has a go at me for driving in. Mm -hmm. um, it's improving the cycle uh, facilities. So uh, the city will benefit from it. Absolutely. It was a big opportunity too, anyway. And I think also, so Sir Richard Leeson, the last episode, said that when the IRA bomb happened, that one of the reasons that we could build back so well, so positively then, was because of all the partnerships and the collaboration that had been established before that point. So we were in a really strong position to do that. We weren't all having to make those new at that point. We're building back without, it's not bricks and mortar this time, but it's from a, a cultural point of view and a, a mindset, I suppose. And we still need the same resilience. How important do you think that is going to be for us now? Massively, but it's already happening. The big, big businesses are slower and are more cautious, and I understand that. But the amount of sort of transactions that we're doing with SMEs um, and owner-managed businesses that are sort of Manchester-based the levels of activity are far higher than I ever thought, which sort of shows that the, the, the Mancunians are cracking on again. Yeah. They're keeping it going. Yeah. 
as always, yeah. every time adversity brings out the best in us. So we talk about personal relationships at Roland Ransfield, and I know you're big on that. You've been we've talked about that some already. What are some of the relationships that you've built over your career that are really important to you now? Would you say um, the relationships from I think within business and without business, you know, that being rounded is really important. Um, I went up against Mike Ingle for my lad London very early, um, probably in the second month of being at OBI, negotiating against him. Had a big row with him. <laughs> he kicked me out of the office. And about six months later, ended up representing him. And, and he's taught me an awful lot about the business of property as opposed to the property business. Right. I've had a very close relationship with probably one of my very few mates or only mate from university, Alex Russell, mm-hmm. so from Property Alliance. So I met Alex the um, the first ever day I was at university. I don't think we spoke for about six months. Did you not sell a Mars bar? No, I didn't. <laughs> I thought he had enough because he came in an Audi TT oh, well. and I didn't like him because I had to get on two different buses to get to the same place. <laughs> so, um, But Alex has been a, uh, a really good mate and we bounced ideas off each other um, throughout the last 10 years. And then you know, there's the likes of... Uh, Gary, who you do a lot of work with, Gary Neville, who has sort of taught you or taught me to be extremely resilient. I mean, if you think that I don't care what people think of me, he's at a different level. (laughs) He's at a different level. (laughs) And um, I do admire that he's relentlessly passionate about everything he does. Mm. Um, So you you take things from different people, people like we've worked with Fred Dome, John Roberts, Jed Mason. and if you get one or two percent from each of them, you know, it's great because they're, they're, they're absolute sort of mavericks of what they do. So such interesting people, aren't yeah, they? Great yeah, great people. That's what I love about about the day job. You might be speaking to some mental tech entrepreneur that sold out for hundreds of millions one minute, and the next minute with a startup business, the next minute, you know, some fund manager from from the city of London that's been privately educated and they're all so mm. different, mm. which is great. Mm. And I think actually the property industry in particular does attract some incredibly colourful characters and I think you're right, This um, just doing We Built the City, every week I've been able to be inspired by somebody and you get, every week I've learned something new, that 1% that just it makes such a difference. Do you think you're drawn to people who are similar to you that have got that kind of <laughs> maverick streak or that they are colourful characters? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think I, I do. I, I enjoy... Um, people that might be a little bit eccentric or a bit different, or a bit you know, or braver. So, and they've got to, they've got to be able to have a laugh. Mm. I can't be serious for too long. So, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And I know that you get out of bed very early. So, what is it that kind of keeps you going? One thing I did learn was never two things really: never to get emotionally attached to a deal. So, if you lose a deal. You lose it. And the people that we work with, um, you never know if the deal's going to happen anyway because they change their mind all the time. So that gave me a lot of uh, perspective. Uh, And the other thing is I've never been asked about money. Mm. So when I get out of bed in the morning, I just want to make sure that we do the absolute best. Uh, And that might sound cliche, but it's not. We want to be the best and do the, the best for our clients every single day and make sure that no one gets near us. And I'm interested in values, as you know, and we have the Roland Transfield Way 
15 values by which we hold ourselves accountable. And if we're going off track a bit, we can see, OK, we need to kind of pull ourselves a bit more towards those. And as we said, they've kept us going. Are there any on there that you feel that you can either align with your own or...? I think this these transformed your business. Yeah. Because I think when you do this exercise, you get real clarity. Mm. And I could, it was very evident, even at the time, we work with you now, but we weren't at the time, that it sort of just transformed the way you were going to do things. And, and you kept very little to these. And I, I like that all of them, two of them, um, admit it, fix it and move on. Mm. I don't care if people make mistakes and we'll help them fix it. But just put your hand up. I think it's really important. Yeah, and the other one I like is no integrity slippage. Do what you say you would do when you said you would do it the way you said you would do it. Slip off the tongue, that doesn't No, but I like it. <laughs> it's so true, that, isn't it? If yeah. you can just keep to that, yeah. And I think... Because it's dead simple, that, but if you stick to it, you can't go wrong. Yeah, exactly. And then don't try and say that you're going to do stuff that you're not going to do. I think you don't want to be known as that person that will say yes to everything and then just can't deliver. That's important. I think also... People have asked us about those, whether or not they are personal or professional, but in actual fact, so they're, you know, yeah. our personal beliefs as well. They're very powerful then. And you're right, you know, it absolutely has changed the business. And so number 15 of our values is plant trees you'll never see. And that's my personal favourite. And that's about leaving a legacy out of respect to those who follow you. I know that you, you believe in legacy and that you do a lot of kind of charitable work. What's OBI currently working on at the moment? Most of our, our efforts, so we support lots of charities, but we try to have some, some focus, and I think our focus is around young people. So we've been in, involved with Manchester Youth Zone up in Harper Hay for probably seven, eight years, um, raising money whenever we can and supporting that charity is very close to my heart and, and OBI's. Um, we're I'm on the board for the Salford City Foundation, so that's with sort of around the Class of Ninety Two's charity, mm. if you like, which is really enjoyable. That's making a difference to to young people in Salford and a sporting angle, if you like. We have set up two football clubs: one in Salford, which has got an under twelves and under elevens team, and and one back in Beverly, my my old hometown, where we you know we just sponsor, but. Putting smiles on kids' faces makes me happy. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And what legacy do you want to leave personally? I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to leave it via OBI, really. I have no intention of ever selling it. And I'd like to be known for the business which has been around for a long time and changed the way property, you know, property consultancy yeah. services are being delivered. So mixing interior design and building surveying and agency and investment and rating with coffee shops and design studios. You know, I want to show people that you can do it differently. It doesn't have to be the old pinstripe suit way of different departments and fee targets. You know, I'd like to think that we can, we've ripped up the, the rule book and we can do it in a sustainable way for the long term. Well, you've definitely done that. And talking about doing things differently, is there anything you wish you had? Yeah, I reckon I've lost probably two or three people maybe two people that I wish I hadn't lost down the years, probably um, due to my management style. So I wish I'd learned or grown up a little bit quicker. That's admit it, fix it, move on to some degree. Do you ever go back and have those conversations now as a more as a more experienced or philosophical yeah. will? I tr yeah, I try to. I try not to make the same mistake twice. Mm. But when you are managing, you forget 
and I'm very much in the business. So I'm not managing the business day to day. I'm in the business, and you do need to make sure that you, you you know, you do get the tone right. So you might be negotiating a really stressful, strong deal and going quite aggressive with someone on the phone one minute, then the next minute someone might be coming up and wanting to chat about their issues, mm-hmm. and you've got to make sure that you drop the last conversation. Yeah clean the brain and, and, and go again. And sometimes I used to sort of blur the two, <laughs> yeah. which meant I was a bit of a nightmare, I suppose. Easily done, though. Yeah. Easily done. So I'm going to just finish with a quick fire round. So first of all, I know you're a Stoke fan, but City or United? United. All right. What's your favourite view or building in Manchester? Do you know what? I love this building that we're in. Yeah. This room's not got much of a view because <laughs> we're in the basement. But this building, the bonded warehouse, is um, if you walk it. And when we when we bought this back in 2013, I could never get my head around the different levels and the different rooms. Yeah. But it's absolutely stunning. Yeah, love this is. building. Let's come down to the studio. You do need a bread trail. I've done that. Yeah. I, I still lose my way every time. But yeah, it's it's a beautiful building. And now I can see obviously all the um, the work going on behind and it's St a John's. Beautiful deal. Your beautiful deal. Yeah. yeah. Three most inspirational Mancunians. I think Sir Howard Bernstein, Ian Brown, mm-hmm. and Andrew Cowell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wonder I if he would say the same about you if he got asked that question. <laughs> What's your favourite Mancunian expression? You're only as good as your last derby. <laughs> Someone told me that once. It stuck so with me. Good. Uh, what do you order at the chippy? Fish and chips. And what's the best thing to come out of Manchester? The Princess Parkway or Ryan Shawcross. Oh Do you know who he is? No. Stoke signing from Manchester United in oh, right. 1999, I think. 1009. Well, no one's given me that answer before, so there you go. That's the first. Thanks so much for coming to spend time with me today. I know you're not somebody who's got a long attention span, so I'm really impressed you've actually sat there. I've enjoyed that, actually. Thanks, Lisa. No, I don't know. And, um, and I'm looking forward to working with you to help rebuild this city um, over the next few years. And I also want to thank you for helping my son to drink a bottle of beer through a latex horse's head because I think that's a skill that will stand him in good stead for the future as he goes through life. He did a very good job. But thank you, Lisa. Cheers, Will. Will Lewis built this city by not being hung up on titles, by bending pretty much every rule in the book and by flogging Mars bars out of the back door. We Built This City is out every Thursday when you'll hear from another incredible Greater Mancunian. If you want to find more out about Roland Dransel PR and you'd like some help in creating your legacy, please head to rdpr.co.uk for more information or give us a call on the same number we've had for 24 years, 0161 236 1122. Thank you and see you next time. <laughs>